where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. I'm never sure when I'm on LinkedIn live streaming the video, which direction is the future? So I'm just going to say, we're just going to go into the future. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's October 20th, 2021. Where is the year going? Can't wait for this one to be over. We thought we'd never get through 2020. And 2021 seems to be moving very fast. Not quite at the end of that tunnel where we hope to be through by now, but I hope we're getting there. So if you're getting ready for a good 2022, get something ready for a very big celebration on New Year's Eve. So we're talking today about the future of self-driving cars. You know, you probably don't have one yet. And you're probably saying, what? A car that'll figure out how to drive me? Are you serious? You've heard news, you've heard stories. And I want to tell you, there's a TV show called Upload that I started. It was a little too creepy for me, where a guy is on his way to pick up groceries in his self-driving car, and it malfunctions and it crashes into the back of a bus. And before you know it, he is uploaded to some place else where he has choices on how he's going to live virtually sponsored by his wealthy girlfriend who wants to join him in the future. We won't go there, but it was scary. So I have a panel that's very eager to talk, but I want to do some buzz quotes before we start to get to whet your appetite for the topic. So I have a quote here from the New York Times. Oh my goodness, from this year, May 24th. And let me just read a little bit. I have four buzz quotes, so bear with me. Number one, the future promised by self-driving car companies in which the streets would be filled with autonomous vehicles has yet to arrive. In May 2021, this year, New York Times reported that cars are still unable to manage the multitude of scenarios they may encounter while driving. Okay, I have a quote now also from vice.com. That sounds a little interesting. Here's the quote. Mounting technical problems proved more difficult than autonomous vehicle designers had expected, including the challenge of teaching cars to interpret gazillion different types of everyday objects and data that real life presents from passing birds. Everybody on my panel, flap your hands. You're flap. You're all, we're all passing birds. That's it. To a moon that looks like a yellow traffic light. I think Elon Musk had a problem with this. To hand gestures from other drivers, and we'll keep these polite. Nobody make that hand gesture we're not going to do on this show. (laughs) Quote quote number three. I told you you'd have fun, Praveen. And well, Tom knows me already and Patrick. And here's quote number three from a website called Rest of World, R-E-S-T-of-World.org. Listen to this. Training self-driving cars for $1 an hour, that's what they're paying a lot of people. To master the roads, autonomous vehicles need lots of data. Workers everywhere from Kenya to Venezuela are providing it. Self-driving cars rely on video cameras, radar radar sensors, LIDAR sensors, hmm, sounds like Novocaine, GPS antennas, and other tools to read street signs and continuously map their surroundings. To perform as well as a human driver, they have to process and respond to a constant stream of ever-changing information. Listen to this, a lost dog, the sudden onset of a rain shower, everybody make the rain shower, Patrick and Pretty Camilla's have to make the rain shower, or a broken traffic I can throw them off to prepare for these and millions of other possibilities. The complex software and algorithms powering self-driving cars need immense amounts of highly accurate data and an army of humans to feed the data to them. And now I have one more quote. This is fascinating from Boston University, one of my alma maters, bu.edu. Self-taught self-driving cars, question mark, like babies learning to walk. Autonomous vehicles can learn to drive by mimicking others. Listen to this. Researcher developing, researchers developing new machine learning algorithms that teach cars to self-drive by observing traffic. They proposed the algorithm by estimating the 
viewpoints and blind spots of other nearby cars to create a bird's eye view map of the environment. And they took a PhD student and engineer tested. This is called a watch and learn algorithm. They had autonomous cars drive in two virtual towns, one with straightforward turns and obstacles like they were trained and another one with unexpected twists and turns. Everybody, come on, Patrick and Praveen and Tom, twists and turns. That's it. Like five-way intersections. I lived in Cambridge, Massachusetts. We had those round roundabouts with at least five, and nobody knew who was going first. In both scenarios, the self-driving neural networks got into very few accidents with one hour of training. Through this machine learning algorithm, the autonomous vehicles arrive safely at their destinations 92% of the time. How's that for a setup? So, Bonnie D in the house, happy to be here. I've got three very ready to pounce on the predictions guests here today. I'm going to just say we have Tom Madonna. Tom Wave, you've been on so many radio shows with me. Thrilled to have you back. And you're responsible for inviting the other two. Patrick Maroney, say hello. There he is. And Praveen Ramamurthy. Welcome, Praveen. Nice to have you. So let's go around the table. I'm going to put you on full screen speaker view, Mr. Madonna. There might be 4.3 people in the world who don't remember you. Shame on them. I want you to talk to them and update them. What have you been up to recently, Tom? And why are you excited to be here? And if you're not, pretend to be excited to be here. Tom Madonna, talk to me. Go ahead. Thanks, Bonnie. And thanks, listeners. Uh, I'm uh, Tom Madonna, Industry Executive Advisor with SAP, uh, responsible for a portion of automotive in North America with my colleague, uh, Bill Newman. What we do is uh, basically assist the customers uh, through our customer innovation office of how to use technology to better uh, the transformation and the business usage that they're going to get out of that software. And so this includes conversations around the industry, conversations around the product. Uh, and so part of what I wanted to do today was to bring colleagues uh, out of the high tech area and out of the building area to allow for us to get a, a really uh, 360 view of this particular topic and uh, how it's affecting the industry. Thank you very much, Tom. Happy to have you here. I know you worked hard getting these gentlemen. Patrick Maroney, you and I met about Mm, I'd say six and a half minutes ago. So I have your bio, but I'm not going to sit here and read it. Patrick, would you do me the honor of introducing yourself to our LinkedIn viewers, to our Facebook viewers, to our Voice America Business Channel listeners? Who are you? A little bit about what you do, but most important, why are you excited about self-driving cars? Patrick, welcome. Bonnie, I'm so thrilled to be here. Thank you for for having me and and, uh, Tom and, and Praveen. And my role, I also work at SAP. My role is very similar to Tom's, except for a different industry. Tom focuses on automotive, and I focus on high tech. And I'll tell you why I'm excited to be here, Bonnie. Um, Can you really tell the difference between high tech and automotive these days? No. No, right? I've, I've read that there is now a higher cost of goods sold in an automobile in silicon than there is in steel. And why is that, right? How many chips do you have in an average car? And how much have we seen in the headlines lately about all of the constraints caused by or blamed on semiconductor for holding up automotive production? And there's a lot of reasons for why those kinds of things transpire. But if you really look at the drivers going forward, right, autonomous vehicles, whether that's uh, uh, um, AR and AV or ADAS, you know, and, and, and assisted driving techniques, all of that is being powered by compute. And you mentioned it in your beginning. It's all about the data. And if you're gonna go down an AI path, you're really training models. You cannot train those models if you cannot process massive amounts of data. And I don't care if you're talking about a smart car, a smart refrigerator, or a smart factory. It all comes down to the same basic elements of processing data in a way that drives desired outcomes. That's why I'm excited to be here. And you you made me, I'm excited about the topic because I picked the topic and you made me even more excited, Patrick. So thank you. And you're right. Data, data, data. And people probably get tired of us saying data. Okay, what's the, okay, it's a point. Oh, I'm seeing this. I'm looking at that. I'm thinking this. I'm holding this, touching that. I'm designing this. But you're right. Cars are animate inanimate objects, right? <laughs> they, they live. They're computers they move. on wheels these days, Bonnie. Well, wait a minute. I just got a Z4 and it's a 
It's a freaking computer on wheels. I have to deal more with the computerization of the car than drive. It's not even fun to drive yet because I'm still dealing with all the settings. We (laughs) won't go there today. I'll have an off-air conversation. Praveen has been so patient. Praveen, also invited by Tom Madonna. We're so happy to have you here. Why don't you follow suit? Introduce yourself to our viewers, our listeners. Why are you excited about the topic? Praveen, welcome. Thank you, Bonnie. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Um, Praveen Ramamurthy, I'm a director in the Global Center of Excellence. I also work at SAP. My focus um, has been high tech, and I, I'm in the Silicon Valley, and so I have a, a front seat, if you will, to the technology and the innovation that's been happening around here. I see so many, so many um, autonomous um, at least uh, companies that are trying to get to autonomous driving, you know, collecting data on the streets, you know, they're driving vehicles to kind of map out the streets, to collect data, to, to understand the patterns, if you will. Um, so it's, it's kind of, you know, front seat to that, that innovation that is happening. Why am I excited with this? I mean, I've always, um, uh, you know, been a big kind of uh, enthusiast, if you will, of automation. You know, I have things in my home that's all pretty much everything is automated from lights to locks to my garage door everything is automated and I think you know it's like what is the next frontier to that and the next frontier is where I spend probably uh, additional amount of time is in my car so I'm really excited that that autonomy is going to come to my car so I can focus on something else when when I you know when the car drives me to where I where I need to go it needs. It knows where I need to stop. It helps me pick up stuff, and then I come back home safe. Thank you. Very exciting too. And and you're right. And, and I have a question for all of you. If you had a chance of being in an Uber where you didn't have to talk to or see the driver, or being in a self-driving car that took you someplace, Praveen, that so you could get your groceries, or so you could go to a meeting, or so you could go see a movie, or go to a restaurant, and that vehicle took you there, what would you prefer, the Uber driver or the taxi driver? Yellow cab still alive and well, I hear in New York and all over. Would you rather have the car where you didn't have to see or talk to the driver, or the autonomous car where it was all points of data that had been taught to the car. Let's go around the table. Tom Madonna, yes or no? Which one would you prefer? Well, I, I, I go back to the quote and conversation we had six years ago. Okay. These are still in my pocket. <laughs> so so until, until we physically get, um, you know, a structure and uh, the liability and getting, you know, that 92% to 99.999%, then I would rather see that driver in that front seat. There you go. Even if you had to talk to him, Patrick, what about you? What's your preference? You know, there's a there's an awesome movement for environmental social governance going on, ESG, otherwise known mm-hmm. as sustainability. When you think about the amount of time that human beings drive around looking for parking spaces, how much extra carbon do you think that puts in the environment? If you had a smart car that knew where the parking was and didn't drive around looking for it, but went directly to that parking space and parked, That's kind of the world I see and the advantages to some of these smart vehicles, whether it's autonomous or not. Bonnie, I love a good conversation, especially in New York. uh, And I've never met a cab driver in New York from New York. So I'm always learning about some other place in the world. I don't know what I would do without them. I hope to goodness that the automated driver is like that one in the, the Men in Black movies and it just blows up right out of the steering wheel and can have a full conversation with me. But uh, I would like to see some of the uh, efficiencies that we're going to see gained uh, through automation in the future. Really great points. Thank you. (laughs) And my car keys are in the other room. Several sets of them. Praveen, talk to us. What would you rather be driving, be driven in? I'm I'm an early adopter of technology. I've always been. And I love to get in. I've actually been, you know, in Las Vegas. there There was an opportunity to get into an autonomous car. It was fun. Uh, but, but, you know, once you're in the car and then you're trying to get to a place, you realize that there are so many still, so many hurdles to come over, overcome. Um, you know, simple one was we wanted to stop at a place and then pick up somebody else. And that was, that was very difficult. I mean, on a driver, you tap on the shoulder and say, hey, can you stop here? I'll pick somebody up. Uh, well, there's nobody in the driver's seat. What do you do? So <laughs> Uh, technology is amazing, it's, um, but it still needs, uh, I think it still needs a lot of work. 
That's an interesting point, Praveen. Aside from what Patrick said about wanting to have a conversation with a human sitting in the driver's seat in the front of the car. Yes, I'm from New York, Patrick, and I know I know taxis, and I have friends who came from other countries decades ago who invested in yellow cab medallions. And we all know what happened when Uber took over and changed it into drive your own car to work, right? A couple of years ago. And we know what happened to the value of those medallions. They went from here, legacy from my family, inheritance, wow, to I can't even get rid of it on a sailing, a sell market. So anyway, but your point, Praveen, is how do you talk to the car, the instructions of how does the human get talked to talk to the non-human driver if you're in a self-driving car to say, hey, I want to make an extra stop or I have to make an extra stop, but let's leave. <laughs> I told you, Patrick and Vivian, we were going to have fun on the show. I hope Tom warned you. This is the part of the show where my guests have graciously sent me a quote from a movie or TV fictional character or a song quote. The quotes have absolutely nothing to do with self-driving cars. That would be kind of hard to find, I think, unless you're going to some real sci-fi movies, but there are plenty of those. I'm going to read the quote with a little bit of background, and then I'm going to ask each of them to explain how they picked the quote and what they think it does have to do with the topic. Tom and Donna sent us a quote from John Connor, played by Jason Clark. Clark with an E on the end. The movie, The Terminator, Genesis, G-E-N-I-S-Y-S, 2015 American sci-fi action film. And of course, it stars Arnold Schwarzenegger, Arnold, reprising his role as the Terminator. Let's see. uh, It follows Kyle Reese, a soldier in a post-apocalyptic war against Skynet sent from 2029 to 1984 to prevent Sarah Connor's death. Let's leave it there. Here's the quote. This is the world now, logged on, plugged in all the time. Tom, where'd you find this one? And what does it have to do with self-driving autonomous vehicles? Go ahead. One one of the interesting pieces, Bonnie, on on this prediction, and I'm going to get to it and our predictions down for, is Skynet. Okay, so when we start talking about, uh, you know, algorithms and AI, teaching AI, et cetera, that was the premises of Terminator. You know, Skynet basically started, it was released. It started looking at what was going on. It started determining the best course forward. And what that mean? It meant basically terminating what they considered the, the germs of, of, the, of the world, which was humankind. So long and short, um, everything's plugged in now. Everything's connected. You can connect your phone to your car. You can turn your car on by your phone. You can get into your car by your phone. The connectivity is there. And, and, and what we'll start to see today is that uh, the different levels of uh, advancement, the technology that's out there, the connectivity that's out there, a car to be self-driving has to be aware, has to be open, has to calculate millions of transactions, uh, you know, uh, a second, and has to have a reaction time that basically can do something with that data and make it information and act on it. And so part of this is, yes, connected, yes, plugged in, but still, there's some technology they're missing, and we'll talk about that with some of the predictions going forth. Thank you very much. Very interesting quote. Yes, yes, yes. Patrick Maroney has sent us a very famous quote. Patrick, this is quote number 35 on AFI's top 100 movie quotes of all time. I don't even know if you knew that when you picked it. It is in coming from the mouth of Chief Martin Brody, played by, played by the actor Roy Scheider. A lot of people want to put an N and call him Roy Schneider, but it's Roy Scheider, S-C-H-E-I-D-E-R. Of course, the film is Jaws. Duh, 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 duh. Everybody, come on, join me. Duh, 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 duh. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> this is an American thriller film based on the 1974 novel directed, of course, by Spielberg, novel by Peter. Peter Benchley, a man-eating great white shark, attacks beachgoers at a summer resort town, prompting police chief Martin Brody, Roy Scheider, to hunt it with the help of marine biologist Richard Dreyfuss and professional shark hunter Robert Shaw. Okay, the line I'm about to read was ad-libbed by Roy Scheider. I don't know if you know this, Patrick, but apparently the production was in trouble. They were working, simulating scenes off of a barge that had the equipment and the much-needed craft services, that's food and amenities, and a smaller support group boat. The crew members complained to the producers the boat was too small. But that's where the phrase came from. Richard Zanuck and David Brown were very stingy as producers. I'm quoting from, from one of the holiday rags, uh, Hollywood rags, and 
everybody said to them, you're going to need a bigger boat. You're going to need a bigger boat. They wrote this. Carl Gottlieb wrote this in The Hollywood Reporter. It became a catchphrase for anything that went wrong. If lunch was late or the waves were rocking the camera, somebody said, you're going to need a bigger boat. So Roy Scheider started popping this into the takes when they were filming the movie. And every chance he got, he said, you're going to need a boat. Well, they had a very astute editor named Verna Fields, and she left some of these in the actual movie. That's where it came from. So it was not scripted originally. So Roy Scheider says, you're going to need a bigger boat. Patrick Maroney, talk to us. I hope you appreciated that. It's such an optimistic saying, isn't it, Bonnie? It is. Um, I mean, it is the quintessential phrase for a snafu. And I mean, if you look at what we've all been through in the last 18 or so months with this global pandemic, I mean, you could look to the left or you could look to the right and you could say, we're going to need a bigger boat. And I think when you start thinking about the challenges that face the uh, uh, autonomous vehicles and the future of driving AI into vehicles, you really need to think about what it's going to take to get us there. And Tom brought up a lot of really brilliant elements in terms of uh, in terms of data and compute power and what you what would you need to power Skynet right I think there's nothing n- there's nothing better than a crisis to drive innovation right necessity is the mother of all innovation if you look at all of those container ships parked off the coast of Los Angeles right now and you look at what are some of the constraints that are driving those ships from getting into port, being unloaded, and transporting it, there's a shortage of truck drivers. A shortage of truck drivers is going to do more for creating autonomous truck trucks than I think anything else, because we're seeing the need, we're seeing a gap in supply chain and the need to fill a resource constraint. And so this is a place where people will be replaced through autonomous uh, nature of the vehicles. And there may be some truck drivers out there that are saying, well, that's my future, that's my job. I don't think people's jobs go away when we start to replace, um, uh, when things become automated. The job roles just shift. You're going to need more programmers to actually program these vehicles. You're going to need maintenance to maintain these autonomous vehicles. The vehicles themselves become much, much, much more sophisticated, and therefore the sophisticated humans to keep it all working are going to be required as well. There's huge infrastructure bills being pushed through the government right now. If we're going to have autonomous trucks, do we really want them in the same lanes that we have you know, non-autonomous drivers? Maybe, maybe not. And I think until the trust levels come up and some of these concerns that both you and Tom and Praveen have brought up earlier are addressed, we almost want to make sure that they have their own their own lanes. Right. So I think that there's a lot going on. There's a huge opportunity for investment at a lot of different levels across a lot of different industries to really address a problem that we have and and, and fix a necessity. And so you're going to need a bigger boat applies to all of this. Thank you, Patrick. Very interesting. And you brought up two important words here. Need is, do we need? Why do we need? Who needs self-driving vehicles? And what will the need be for people in that in that ecosystem, in that world. And the other word, of course, is trust. And that's that's a whole topic in itself. I want to go to Praveen's quote next. Praveen has picked a quote from a movie that goes way back in time, 1966, the Italian epic Spaghetti Western. I don't know how many people in our listening and viewing audience know what a Spaghetti Western is, but look it up, okay? Spaghetti lowercase s, Western capital W. And the character is Blondie, or the man with no name, a.k.a. the good, played by iconic actor Clint Eastwood, still around, speaking to Tuco, a.k.a. The Ugly, played by the iconic actor, no longer with us, Eli Wallach. And here is the line. I'm going with the original line, Praveen. And by the way, in Italian, the movie was called Il Buono, Il Brutto, Il Cattivo. Literally, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And here's the quote. You see, in this world, there are two kinds of people, my friend. Those with loaded guns, and those who dig, you dig? Okay, Praveen, <laughs> unravel this quote for us. Go ahead. Absolutely. One, one of my best, one of my favorite movies. Uh, I, I kind of had to pick that. But here is, here is how I see it. How was the West 
kind of how was the West settled you know, here in the U.S. You know, it was through railways, and before that, um, there was the there was the outlaw Western places where people like Blondie and people like Tuco um, used to play. And how that how does that apply? You know, this is kind of discovering autonomous driving. You know, we, even though we have roads and highways and everything is settled now, there is still that wild west kind of um, a feeling with autonomous driving. There is so much to yet to be discovered. There is so much yet to be kind of bought up that we haven't figured this out. It's almost like the um, it's almost like the western kind of um, uh, feeling there. Uh, another point there is. Um, you know, there are two types of people that have that have kind of started to make the journey on uh, rediscovering that autonomous vehicle. One is people who have data insights and people who don't, you know, not just having the data, but having insights into that data and how they're going to use that um, to, to help autonomous driving. And this is a big part of that is, is I think, is the human element of the autonomous driving. You know, you could you could look at the environment. You could look at, um, you know, you could look at the technology itself, but then there's a big element in this, and that's the human element. You know, it's, it's about where Praveen wants to go. When does he need to get there? When does he leave home to get there? How many people from Praveen's neighborhood are driving in the same direction at the same time? Um, all of that, I think, is, is predictive data, insights into that predictive data that, that I think really ties this code together. And I want to say, it's, uh, if I change the quote, it's, you know, there are two types of people in this world, people who have data insights and people who have data. So. <laughs> Thank you. And very interesting. You brought up a whole set of other set of variables is, would you own or be part of the sharing economy with your self-driving car? Is it an electric car, fully EV? I heard on a show I did the other day that anything that's a hybrid is, oh my goodness, so yesterday we've got to go to fully, full battery, full EV cars, right? And who is who gets to be on the road? If you're sharing the car, how do you book the car? And where is the charging station, right? And how do you keep it charged? And how do you know whose turn is it? And whose garage is it in? And whose charging station is it in? And which self-driving car goes to which driving? And what if you want to go shop at Kmart or at Macy's or you want a Burger King? And that car isn't programmed to take you to that place where you want it to charge while you go do your shopping. It opens up a whole new thing. Speaking of whole new thing, I'm happy to welcome a sponsor. We haven't had a sponsor on the show in a long, long time. Aaron's going to do a roll-in. It's sponsored by today, Advanced Risk RISC Machines, talking about their ARM Arm Viewpoints podcast. Everybody, my guests are just going to sit here for LinkedIn and Facebook and just smile for a minute. Aaron, do the roll-in, please. Let's welcome our sponsor. I'm Jeff Wheelwright tech journalist and host of the RM Viewpoints podcast. I've been documenting the evolution of the computer industry since the birth of the PC. Having witnessed the mobile revolution firsthand, it's my pleasure to be working with ARM, the company whose technology sparked it all. We bring you the latest stories from the center of the tech world. In recent episodes, I've had fascinating conversations with executives, engineers, industry experts, and futurists from both inside and outside of ARM. We've covered topics from AI, data security, software-defined vehicles, robotics, and cybercrime to the promise of 5G and the future of healthcare. And we're just getting started. Join me as we speak with an ever-expanding roster of the people at the heart of technology as we explore the evolving world of computing. Download and subscribe to Arm Viewpoints at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you very much to our new sponsor. They're going to be with me for a couple of future episodes, and we're happy to have them here. Now let's go to our predictions. It sounded interesting, doesn't, doesn't it? I, I have to go listen to that. I, I've never had a produced podcast uh, advertiser on the show, and I'm very thrilled that they want to be part of this. By the way, I have to do a shout out to my listeners around the world. We're on track to have about 200,000 listeners this year. And I'm very honored that people around the world find my show, Technology Revolution, The Future of Now, which I produce with Voice America Radio, the business channel, find it that interesting. So Praveen and Patrick and Tom, you're all part of 
keeping this lively and compelling and relevant. And I'm very happy to have you here today. Let's go to the predictions part. Let's see how many we could roll through. We have about 25 minutes left to the show. I'm going to go to prediction number one from Tom Madonna. Here's how it's going to work. I'll read your prediction. Tom's predictions are short. I'll read the whole thing. One, I've picked number one. I'll read it. Tom, please unpack it. Now, Patrick and Praveen, if you want to make any comments, just do this. Teacher, teacher, call me, call me. And because we're on video, I get to see you. Isn't this wonderful? And then I will call you. If I don't see anybody doing this afterwards or, hey, you call me, please. I want to say something. I will move on to a prediction from Patrick. I've already got it teed up in the chat for you. And I'll pick one from Praveen next. So Tommy's prediction number one. He says, AI, artificial intelligence, is being used in ADAS technology. I think that's assisted driver. You're going to tell us what that means. Now, allowing the car to learn and react while having an active driver. Ah, these are the first steps to moving to an unbounded autonomous vehicle or AV. Tom, this is interesting. I hadn't thought about this. Active driver and car training. Who's teaching whom to drive? Tom, go ahead. Thanks. So ADS, Advanced Driver Assisted System. So what these are uh, commonly in your car, this is going to be your cruise control. This is going to be your your passive and active cruise control. It's going to be your lane change uh, pieces. It's going to be that rumbler in the seat when you uh, change uh, lanes without turning on your signal. Um, If you look at the structure of ADS technology in regards to going from assisted to uh, complete AI execution or autonomous vehicle execution, there are depending upon who you're talking to, five to six stages of that. And, and right now we're sitting at about stage two. Most cars are, are at least a stage two level uh, as we speak, if you're sitting at one of the higher ended cars. Um, but if you look at the technology that took to get to where we're at today, and you look at the time frame that it did, it's an interesting process. Cruise control was introduced in say the middle of the seventies, active, passive, uh, cruise control came out in the 2010s. So it was roughly 40 years of only revving up, pushing start and, and set, and then letting the cruise go before we actually got to a position where we would slow down and actually see what was happening in traffic. The other piece of this is, and then it was probably another four years after that before we actually got the lane change process going on. So, and as, so at level two, you're an assisted structure, but the, the driver is still active. The, the driver is still integrated. There are been two or three announcements of, of what we call level three. Um, this includes, you know, things like Tesla, et cetera. But in general, that's the technology. Those are the algorithms that are being put into, and that's the advancements that we're going to have to go after. Thank you very much. I saw somebody raise their hand. Did I see you, Patrick? Go Correct. ahead. Talk to us. Well, I was just going to add to what uh, to what Tom was saying. You know, I think, you know, Tom Tom is at SAP. Tom is a uh, uh, an automotive specialist, and I come at it from the high tech angle. So that's really where I would like to add to to Tom's comments. I think you know when you and your sponsor can attest, right? Arm is a a, a wonderful semiconductor company. The, the power to make these changes in the vehicle are really going to be driven by the chip power to support. And we can only move as fast as that innovation. Um, so as demand increases, as people become more reliant on it, I think you're going to see a lot more room for AI, not just in the driving portions, but in multiple connections. For example, automotive manufacturers really care about walk-home events. They don't want you to walk home. They put a lot of sensors on these cars to monitor the oil, the vibrations, all of these various elements, the the tire pressure. And all of this is to inform you as the driver, right, what's happening. But imagine a car that drives over a bridge and slips a little bit. That's not a walk-home event. That's data that's basically dismissed. But a second car drives over that same bridge and also slips a little bit. That's two slippages from two different vehicles. One might be a BMW, one might be a Ford. Both vehicles would have dismissed that data, but a smart city, a smart city wants that data. A smart city grid wants to capture that data and it needs to say, wow, we have an icing condition or a probability, a high probability of an icing condition on that bridge. Let's dispatch a vehicle to go take care of it. And maybe that vehicle is an autonomous sanding truck that goes straight to that bridge, right? So the future is going to be layered in 
And as Tom described with all these different elements, the more that we can start to collaborate and share data across different folks, the more you can actually set a collaborative engineering environment that now starts to join what's happening from a design level at a vehicle to the design levels within the high-tech supply chain, be that semiconductor or the OEMs that are assembling them into sub-assemblies, or even uh, the design uh, for, for smart cities and smart city capabilities and grids. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate your bringing in. I, I'm realizing, Tom, when I planned this topic, I just <laughs> wanted to talk about who's going to teach the cars. This is a huge topic. It's a community yes. topic. It's a it's a culture topic. It's a change management topic. It's a community for everyone, right? Who's yep. programming them, but how do we live with them? And where does the data come from? And on that note, I think Praveen wants to say something also. We may not get through a lot of predictions, but I'm loving the conversation. Praveen, talk to us. Go Just ahead. Just going to keep it brief, you know, yeah, uh, to fine. add on to what Patrick was saying, you know, the, the, the car slipping on the, on the icy road. You know, we cannot do that today a little bit. You know, if you're yeah. navigating using Google Maps or something, you know, you get a pop-up saying there's construction, there's slowdown. It's, um, you know, crowdsourced information that everybody has that you can see and say, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going to take a different route or I'm trying, I'm going to try to do an alternate route. And I think that's going to happen. That requires, you know, not only just the car and the AI, but collaboration with others in the ecosystem, maybe the smart cities that need to collaborate, you know, send information back to the car. Maybe the makers of the maps and the, the driving condition, they have to send information back. So that collaboration, um, you know, from a design side, somebody has to think through, is like, how am I going to ingest data coming from maps? How am I going to ingest data coming from cities into their design? So that supply chain has to kind of really exponentially evolve for, for this to kind of have that data for autonomous driving to truly kind of take off. It's one big, happy family conversation because of all the elements you're bringing in. We haven't even talked about the chip shortage. We talked about driver shortage, though. Very interesting. Uh, Tom, I'm, I'm almost afraid to ask you if you have any comments back to them because I want to move to a couple more predictions, uh, but I will. Let's move on to a couple others because I can, I can basically weave all kinds of things into the conversation. There you go. I'm going to move to Patrick Maroney's prediction number one. We've already mentioned Tesla, but let me just read a little part. One sentence in here I want to read, Patrick, and you say, will the Apple or Google car be the next disruptor? I'm going to stop there. Patrick, take it, unpack it, three minutes, and we'll see if anybody, I think I know All they're right, going to have something to say. Go ahead and time me, Bonnie. You can okay, give me a wave if I'm starting to get close Whoop. to my time limit. Go. So I, I think when you look at OEM automotive companies, I think you're going to see them learning to behave more and more like high industry, like high tech industry companies. Um, and if they don't, they risk potentially even being replaced by them, right? Today we buy cars from Ford and GM and Mercedes and all the rest. And, um, tomorrow we might be buying more cars from Apple, Google, and Tesla is just a beautiful example of this, right? There were a lot of people that predicted Tesla was going to not make it in the automotive area. And you might even argue today that from a quality perspective, Ford, GM, the others, they might produce a higher quality car, right? Tesla has a lot of quality issues with the seams, for example, along where, where different um, components are joined. But you look at a Tesla and it is a high tech experience. You look at how they designed their chips for flexibility so that anything they wanted to do, all they had to do was push a software update into the car, the same way that you can push a software update into the rover moving around Mars. You look at the chip shortages that are occurring in, in the automotive constraint today or the supply chain today, a lot of that is driven by the fact that the OEMs read the tea leaves and saw a downturn in the market and canceled orders. Now, fortunately for the semiconductor companies, at the same rate orders were being canceled by capacity for them, webcams were being ordered, and that capacity was taken. By November of 2020, when the OEM said, oh, wait, hey, we'll take that capacity back. It was too late. That capacity had been given away or not given away, but sold to other companies. And now automotive is in line. And that bad behavior of just canceling orders in a supply chain, that is going to come back to haunt a lot of companies. The high tech supply chain doesn't operate that way. It's highly collaborative and not just on forecast commits, not just on data and inventory, 
but all the way through design. And I think if the automotive companies can work more like a high tech company and more collaborative across their supply chains, you will see that things like uh, chip shortages to the extent that they've happened now won't happen in the future. We'll build more resilient collaborations across multiple tiers of the supply chain. Thank you. Very interesting. I saw, Praveen, did you raise your hand? No, Tom did. Tom, go ahead. Tom. So I think, you know, Patrick starts to touch on this. I'll double click a little bit. You know, I I did mention at the beginning, the car is going to have to become an open platform. You know, there's going to be security issues and everything that goes with that, but it's going to have to be an open platform because the car is only going to be able to absorb certain things, what's going on in the car and the car's interaction to its environment. That doesn't include other cars interaction to it. That doesn't include traffic or weather or other pieces that need to be gathered. So all of those components have to be basically pulled in. You know, Praveen brought up the whole crowdsourcing in regards to either Google Maps or, 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 or Waze. You know, that is uh, uh, another piece. But in, as you start to look at that advances of technology, the more open, the more collaborative those OEMs become, the better off they're going to be. And on particular on the Tesla, the Tesla is basically a mega computer. Okay, so that's the other thing you have to worry about is, you know, what's the capacity of the million transactions that needs to happen every second compared to a chip? So, again, another open platform with a a high-tech version to it. Thank you very much. I'm going to move on. I want to get a prediction from Praveen. Praveen, I changed my mind. You had so many interesting predictions. I picked number one, and now I'm moving to number two. So Praveen predicts interchangeable augmented autonomous drive packages are the next frontier on autonomous driving. Okay, here we go. Here's the caveat. Let's get provocative, even if the OEMs don't want to. This sounds interesting. Praveen, I'm putting you on speaker view. Educate yeah. us, please. Thank you. I'm going to go off of what Tom said, you know, this openness within the OEMs. I think I'm going to take that to the next level and say um, the existing OEMs or car manufacturers are going to become hardware manufacturers, and it will be where you will be able to pick the autonomous package that you want with it. Um, You know, when I get into my car, uh, when I buy my car, I might be able to choose, I want the autonomous package from Google, I want the autonomous package from Apple, I want an autonomous package from the company that we haven't heard of um, right now, um, as of right now yet, you know, because those are the the experiences that that come with 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 the car, uh, that openness is going to provide or force OEMs to say, okay, I'm going to not only provide my autonomous driving package with it, but I'm going to offer a competitive or somebody else's pa- partnership uh, package of autonomous driving with it so that you know, people can choose the experience that they want. You know, if you have today in your home, you might have um, iPhones, you might have other voice-assisted devices, you know, that ecosystem is going to carry to your car next. You know, you, when you get in, it's going to be the same experience. It's going to seamlessly connect to your home automation into the car. So, you know, it feels like a seamless experience to you as you go from your home to your car, to your work. Um, it's, it's going to be one ecosystem. You can also think of this as um, a connected, you know, part of a connected home data from your home is going to, you know, the song that you were playing in your home is going to pick up and start playing in your car, right? Um, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to be like that. It's more like you look up, a, you look up an address on your phone. Um, and then when you get to your car, it's going to pick it up and start driving you to that location. So it's, it, I, I feel like it's going to be these autonomous packages from companies that have data today. Uh, that's going to be installed on OEMs. And that's where Tom, I think, is going to be that the OEMs have to have a much more open platform uh, to kind of enable that. Very, very interesting. So it's Alexa, are you listening? I want you to play Old Time Rock and Roll by Bob Seger when I go into my Z4. Interesting. Patrick, I saw you raise your hand. Talk to me. Yeah, futurist Alan Kay once said that simple things should be simple, but complex things should be possible. And I think that taps right into what uh, Praveen was talking about, right? Not, not only just say the music, but imagine if you just went to the gym and your smart watch now uh, senses that your electrolytes are low. And as you're driving home, it communicates with your car. It knows because your car, yep. it now senses where you're going and it automatically turns on a, 
a smoothie machine that makes you something uh, to replenish your, your electrolytes. So we start getting smart appliances integrated as smart cars into smart watches and all the rest of it, right? All these smart devices, and you might think Jetsons, right? Jane, get me off this crazy thing. But what we're really talking about here is intelligence built into processes that connect across different tiers. We want to do this not only in our cars, but in our companies. You're seeing an explosion in industrial industry 4.0 with smart factories. You see shop floors talking to the top floor of the business, connecting finance and business analytics to sales, to manufacturing, to production, right? We want to tie production maintenance, say, at an automotive line to uh, quality reports that are coming in from, say, challenges in a, in a vehicle. These kinds of smart elements across a business and to drive intelligent enterprises are so symbiotic with everything we're talking about today to do at the smart car. And it all comes back to this ability to ingest data and to train models and to use that to get insight faster. Um, how do I make better business decisions, better driving decisions, better, better connectivity, faster using more and more and more data? Thank you. And I have to do a level set here. I won't do a level set on Alan Kay's quote. I think probably five or 10 other people said it, but it was a good one. I, I'm, a, I'm a fanatic for looking up quotes and a quote investigator, but I have to give a level set for the Jetsons because Patrick, <laughs> it's possible there could be a young person in the audience who hears the word and has no clue what it is. So I'm going to tell you, and I know all this just because I do. The Jetsons is an American animated sitcom produced by Hanna-Barbera Productions, Hanna-Barbera, if you want to say it that way, originally aired in primetime TV, September 23rd, 1962. I'm guessing most of our listeners were not even born then, to March 17th, 1963 on ABC TV. Then it aired in reruns and syndication. New episodes were produced from 1985 to 87, few of you remember, as part of the fantastic world of Hanna-Barbera block, it was Hanna-Barbera's space-age counterpart to the Flintstones. There <laughs> you go. There you go. Anybody want to make a comment about the Jetsons? We've got six Yabba minutes dabba do. <laughs> Absolutely. Barney Rubble, there we go. Yes. I think we can squeeze. Anybody have a comment on that? Because I want to squeeze in one more prediction here. It's coming. It's coming. It, it it's, is. It's coming. Yes. Tom Madonna, I'm going to finish with this one, and then I'll give you each 30 seconds for a wrap-up. Tom says, the biggest advances in technology are coming in the automobile, whether it's software or hardware. All of these pieces have to go through two or three generations at least before they'll be ready for mass production. Let's relate that to AVs, autonomous driving, self-driving cars. Tom, go ahead. And that's going to be the coding minutes. That's going to be the coding, too. I mean, if you start looking at where we sit, and you, you started the program about LIDAR and cameras, et cetera. You know, these technology structures are going to be, have to be backup and backups to backups to allow for the execution of the vehicle to run uh, autonomously. So when you start talking about LIDAR, the execution, the LIDAR production right now is in full stock, but it's going to be uh, produced and put on vehicles in 25 and 26. And it's not exactly pretty. I mean, at this point in time, if you've been in downtown San Francisco and seen some of these cars driving around with the big whirly birds going on the top, no one likes that. I mean, you put that on to your new Z. You're not going to really want to do that. I mean, so it's got to be compact. It's got to be, you know, proficient. It's got to go through it. So there's going to be several generations that are going to go through this process. And if you really think about it and going all the way back to the conversation about data, you know, there's millions of transactions that happen per second on a car. Okay. Right now, we're only using about 10 to 20% of that data. Where's the other 80% going? Right now, it's being dumped, you know, and it's starting to be mined. Some of it's starting to be used, but it's data. It's not information. So how do you basically build that open technology with that new technology for hardware, how that's going to go into a supercomputer, and then how's all that software going to integrate inside and outside the vehicle is multiple generations from mass production, mass usage. And once that occurs, then we have to worry about trust and liability. You know, when you start looking at what's happened with certain car manufacturers who have tested out their technology and run over the uh, simulated passenger or simulated pedestrian multiple times, there are still testing that to be done. 
Thank you very much. The word words from the mountains appear. Let's you know what instead of a reaction, let me just give you each thirty seconds because we're really almost done. Thirty seconds, Thompson. You just finished talking. I'm going to go around the table. Patrick, a final prediction on self-driving cars. Yes, no, good, bad, ugly, win, win. Oh where, yeah, how? it's going to happen. I think it's going to be driven by necessity. I think uh, everything I said about the trucks and the autonomous will probably be one of the first tiers. Or, you know, if suddenly people start driving over a lot more people, maybe maybe, maybe that'll be the catalyst as well. <laughs> what a hide on that one. Praveen, what's your final prediction? I give you about 45 seconds. Go ahead. All right, take um, one minute. One minute. Yeah, I'm going to say, you know, um, I, I look at this and say maybe it's not even in the U.S. that it's going to happen. It might happen in another part of the world where the infrastructure for this is much more conducive. Um, or the infrastructure has already been put in place that helps autonomous driving. I hate to say that. I'd love to see that in the background in San Francisco and the Bay Area happen. But um, you know, there's so many factors that need to be taken into consideration that it could happen somewhere else. And that's the that's the beauty of the world coming closer together. You know, everybody is connected. So once it happens someplace, it's going to be replicated and it's going to happen really fast in other places. And by the way, uh, I did a show, Tom, on the mobility manufacturing show for SAP the other yesterday, and we talked about the adoption of electric, fully electric vehicles. And China apparently is leading with the most cars on the road. Currently, I think 44% of China cars on the road are EVs and other countries. Europe is next. U.S. is lagging way, way down. Tom, final word, 30 seconds. Go. So I'll go back to a prediction I did earlier in the year where we talked about EV vehicles and adoption. Okay. I said 50 to hundred different platforms will be done by 25. Guess what? We had all of those announcements started in the year and that's where we sit. So I'm going to give you another prediction. I would say AV level three, level four mass production is not relatively available to be used in the United States until 28 to 30. And why I say that is because we're still generation one of these and I think there's going to be at least two or three others. Now, that's not to say that AVs aren't going in Europe before then. Uh, but, you know, the U.S. market, uh, U.S. liability laws, the tort laws, et cetera, it's going to be later in the, later in the, uh, in the decade. Thank you. And any continuation, we'll have to do a part two, gentlemen. So Tom Madonna, Praveen and Patrick, let's give a applause to Tom Madonna for selecting both of you and inviting you. Tom, they're lively. They're smart. They were engaged. I appreciate what you did, Tom. Patrick, such a pleasure to meet you. Come back anytime. Praveen, same thing. Really enjoyed speaking with you. Great ideas, great insights, great expertise. And now I want all of you, and thank you to Aaron Keller. Got out of a sickbed to engineer for us today. Thank you, Aaron. We appreciate you. And a shout out to Arm, my new sponsor. We're so happy to have you. We heard a promo for the Arm Viewpoints podcast. Go check it out anywhere you find your podcast today, as well as our podcast. There you go, Technology Revolution. Patrick and Praveen and Tom, put up your finger. I want you to shake your finger because we got to do our closing right now, okay? If somebody tells you, this is to our viewers and our listeners, and listeners on Voice America Business, you can hear us shake, wagging our fingers at you. If somebody tells you the future is already here, I want you to say, a panel together with me, say, no, no, no. No, no, no. <laughs> Hold on. That was yesterday's future. Today's future hasn't happened yet, and we're all here to make it a better one. Everybody wave bye-bye. Bye-bye, LinkedIn. Bye-bye, Facebook. Bye-bye, Voice America. Bonnie D, out. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now. Oh